It's time for First Voices Radio with Tilkison Ghost Horse. Please stay tuned. Land, air, and water. It's nature's law. First Voices Radio brings to you the basics of how not to violate the law and presents the voices of people experiencing the consequences of war against Mother Earth. We bring the awareness of a different paradigm to the airwaves as we shed the same old systematic paradigm that is killing Mother Earth. You can hear the perspective of indigenous peoples throughout the world and how they live with the law, land, air, and water. The voices of the original peoples, our guests are from every continent on earth, endangered, unheard, and forbidden from being heard on mainstream and the neoliberal left airwaves, whether it is alternative or progressive radio. What makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart, and it's good for all of us to be here. And this is, since 1992, this is First Voices Radio. Antiochus and Ghost are sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopers, or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Asopus in the lands of the Muncie-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Les Hill of the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation is the producer of First Voices Radio. For those of you history buffs and wanting to know more about how Native people interact with government, with American people, with each state, within each county, within between tribal relations, we're going to go to the state of Washington, which has everything to do with salmon. So salmon here in the eastern, eastern side of the, the, the United States, as it's called now, Turtle Island, have everything to do with community. Because community is just not about humans or people. Community is salmon. Community is birds. Community is tree. So when we talk our language, we're talking about community, not just because humans live in one place. 
So I'm bringing into this conversation the bold decision of 1974, which is a legal case heard in the Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. And the case reaffirmed the rights of American Indian tribes in the state of Washington to co-manage and continue harvest salmon and other fish under the terms of various treaties with the U.S. government. And the tribes ceded their lands to the United States but reserved their right to fish as they always had. This included their traditional locations off the designated reservations. So with that is Steve Solomon is an elder out of the Lummi Nation. And I took his words from an article published in Mongo Bay, The Last of the Reef Netters. Steve Salmon, who's an elder of the Lummi Nation, and I wanted to just start right there, and you identify strongly with the salmon, and it is committed to bringing awareness to this devastating loss of salmon among the Lummi people and other Coast Salish peoples. And with that, I want to ask you to maybe introduce yourself much better than I would to introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Good morning in our languages. Aiskwachio Ateokayas is good morning today. Uh, traditional name is Kalen Tuscan. Tuscan is derived from uh, our family origin of, of uh, the clan that has eyes to watch everybody. It's a uh, Eagle Clan, and that's who I get my identity from. And there are all the gifts that we get, we get from the Creator, and and that the eyes to watch everybody and everything is a gift in itself. And that's who I've become to be as a tribal. I grew into a tribal leader. I didn't know I was going to be one when. When I had my grandparents beside me, I was one of the mind that I really thought I was going to have my grandparents forever. And when they passed, you know, the we're just echoes of our past. That's what I'm bringing to light is all the echoes that were bestowed in me when I was a young boy and becoming an adolescent and grandparent sitting you down and talking to you and giving you jobs and giving you information that was meant for you. And on their dying beds, both of them, they looked me in the eyes and they called me Sonny. And they asked me to take care of their kids, their oldest ones, which were twins. And I said, yeah, I'll do my best to take care of them so that they'll have happy times when they pass. Little did I know that they were teaching me tradition, culture, our songs and dances, you know, and I really thought I was going to have them forever. And when they said this, I taught you everything there is to know in this culture and tradition. When are you going to wake up? And I slept on those for years and these visions had come, and it's their echo, their echo, their echo, their echo of of a place of home where we come from, the surrounding areas. We we used to sit on the beach, I, right where my grandfather ended up here on 
Lummi Nation Reservation Peninsula. And he would bring us down to the water, bathe in the water, sit at the water. What do you hear? And he, I says, I hear that water talking and singing. He says, whenever you hear that water talk, talk back to it. You're supposed to be good to water. Water is not going to hurt you. Only if you disrespect it, it's going to give you a sign. Always respect water. He says, you see that mountain up there? And he says, you see as far as you could see to the south when the south wind comes? I says, yeah, I could see the, I could see Olympic Peninsula. Good clear day. He says, you turn around and look, look to the west. And I says, yeah, I could, I could see a long ways, Grandpa. He says, that's all yours. He says, you got to take care of it. To my homeland. And we never give up. It's with those four witnesses that we left at our supreme law of the land. The Columbia River and Fraser River, a brother-sister river. The Columbia River, look what happened to it. It's a witness. The white man tried to kill it. And that's where the phrase come, kill the Indian and save man. It came along the banks of that Columbia River. And the sun still rises and sets in the west. Number two witness. Number three witness is the mountain still stands. The mountain that you bear witness that I told you to look at. And the fourth and guiding witness is grass still turns green. All those witnesses are alive today. So that's why we have that in our heart to go out and do our help to the fish that give up its life so that we can live for since time immemorial. And now it's our turn to help our brother because he's in trouble all over the West Coast. I'm, I'm doing multiple Many things in the background to raise awareness here at home. But our leaders, they only listen to what they want to listen to. That's a little backdrop of just the childhood that I I was raised on. And walking these shores and fishing these waters for thousands of years. For thousands of years. And every time we go to a place that is in the realm that I've described, we feel at home. We should never welcome ourselves to our own beaches. Never welcome ourselves to our own homeland. Because we are the original first stewards of this land. Mother Earth is crying too. Symptoms crying. Weather change. Global warming, tide rising, ice melting. I no longer see the blue glaciers when I was a child. I no longer see those when I look up the mountain. I'm one of the mind that if you're in a round table discussion, everybody has an idea. Everybody has an input. And one idea is not the sum of the whole. So when we get through this, we get through it together as one. We bring along who we bring along. We can't turn everybody. We're never, ever going to satisfy everybody. 
we know that. What we can do is turn them one at a time, whether it's one person at a time, one agency at a time. That's that's a chore. Thank you, Steve Solomon, elder of the Lummi Nation. Honored words that you said. I thank you for that. And what I want to ask you is, for the listeners that don't know about the Lummi and the salmon culture that you come from, that you are the last of the reef netters. And when I think uh, of netters, that means going out of the ocean and to some water, throwing a net out. Yet there's a specific idea when you say you're a reef netter, because that is, as far as I can understand, is ancient, uh, an ancient way to sustain the salmon. As you say, your brother, the salmon and people, they want to know story, but they don't know how to tell it. And this is why we in the Indian nations, we listen to our elders and let the elders tell the story because that's the road of experience. People call it wisdom, but there's really common sense when you, you're saying these things. But to have patience for it or an elders to tell their stories is something that, as you described with your grandparents, that you thought they were going to be around forever and then they were gone. And then you realized that you did listen. That's why you're able to carry on that story. So would you describe what that method of reef net fishing is to the listeners? You have to take a look at the surrounding areas where where we fish, the, the islands. The, uh, you know, the tide goes in and out, and, and you'll, you'll see these points that go out way out that stick way out and 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 extreme low tide you would you would pick where it goes out the furthest on any given point where it shallows up it's a reef is a reef it comes up and it gets shallow and the fish has got to go over that and and what you do is you you use the natural setting of the the surrounding area where you're at, whether it be a pinnacle on an island or the mainland, and and you offshore, it's with with groups of people, and and our people had up to thirty to forty reef nets in a given area. Like we go out south start out south or southern border of our fishing area and fish those reefs and follow the fish on in and depending on which track they're taking they're either going to take a westward movement or they're going to take the southern movement and come along the shore and they had scouts to monitor the fish and where they're going and they had up to seven different sites before the river, before the fish entered the river, which gives them opportune time to go to one area and harvest what they're going to use with their ceremony. They'll they'll can and dry and 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 put away the fish that are for the community, and then they would move to their next camp. And eventually end up on the mainland in the fall time. 
to where they fish these creeks and tributaries uh, in the fall. So it, it started in April and May, and you ended up in uh, tributaries in October, November. And, and, and these reef nets, there's four pieces to this reef net. You had leads or you makeshift leads to where the fish come up to the up to the kelp or you could use the kelp as a as a lead and the outside is maybe hundred and fifty to two hundred feet wide opening. Then you would set another lead parallel and it tapers in to where it comes in twenty feet to where it comes over a makeshift reef and you could see the fish come over that. Come over it when they when they roll and come over they'll come into a makeshift bunt and you you'll pull a both ends up and it just a bag on the bottom and you just pull a pull a front and the sides up together and got the fish in a big bag maybe 300 200 two to 300 mesh bag behind and you just roll them into your canoe whatever you see it's it's takes time to build one because uh, it's not a one man operation it's a group of fishermen get together, families, and somebody's designated to make the net, and somebody's designated to make the anchors and set the anchors, and uh, somebody's designated to make the, make the, make the, the shwala, the net that holds the fish to roll them in. And, it takes it takes five to seven men to operate a reef net. You just don't do it on your own. And uh, and and when you bring the fish up, you could even see what even what they are before you you could identify them even before you take them out of the water. If if you if you encounter a fish that's that's protected like this day and age, you could essentially just let it go. Just put the net down and let it, let it go, you know, move it out, you know, cause you could hurt them just like cattle. If you got something to a boom or, or a stick or something and, and you could just roll it right out and not even touch it. It's, it's real sustainable in that regard to where you could be really picky on to what you're harvesting. And I think part of what you mentioned was um, from the article where there was a loss of habitat, but that the strong point, what I see and read is that it's been passed down through the bloodline, but um, also that there was there was ceremony involved before you even went out and practiced or 
you know, employed the methods of, or, you know, the, the strategies that you were talking about and the observations, um, and that it's very different now because um, there's only so many, from what I read, there's only 12 reef net, 12 reef net permits exist and, and the only one belonging to your to the Lummin Nation. Is that true? And describe that situation for you. What happened there is uh, we've got caught up in a um, North America free trade agreement with under the Reagan administration years ago on the onset of the United States-Canada International Fishing Treaty, what they call the PSC process. And 1986, when that agreement come about, we didn't agree with it as a nation because they wanted to take control of what we could do and how we could fish, when we could fish. And, you know, as a sovereign nation, we didn't, didn't want to answer to anybody or any agency or any federal agency for that regard to how we could take care of our people. And in that process, we had to sign that PSC agreement. Uh, the owner of our loan reef net, commercial, it's a commercial reef net site. It's a commercial operation. But we put together a few mobile ones that we can move around, and we just use it as a educational tool for the children that were the concept come about ever since uh, the Pacific Salmon Treaty was signed. Uh, we always put it in our plans that reef net, you owe the acknowledgement of the reef net to leave it in that agreement. No even if we didn't do it, uh, to just keep it alive. And in that process, the, the feds give regulation over to the state, you know, how, how that is today in Indian country to where there's this pass through funding and legislation that the state thinks they own and they only, they're only supposed to manage the money part of it. They're not supposed to tell us what we can, can't do. And that's how they got into uh, the reef net language into the Pacific Salmon Treaty that only 12 of them were actually... Oh, today I only see five or six of them. There's not 12. Right, right now there's only a handful because there's the, the fish, like I said in my opening, that our brother, the fish, need help. And if that help means let's create a totem pole. Um, what this totem pole looks like. When, when you got too many fishermen after too few fish, and then the USV Washington comes along and you got 50%. 50% of what? The harvestable? What's remaining? That's the big question in all of Indian country. 50% of what? Set that threshold at 50% 50 years ago. Tribal leaders should have not even acknowledged it. It's all Bolt did do is delay this inevitable of riding that fish to nothing to get us natives out of the way for 
for an institutional push that gets us out of any agreement. Because if that resource is gone, we're gone. And that's not acceptable since we are so dependent on salmon and our diet and our way of life. And money actually doesn't mean anything to our people. We just need, we just need that sustenance of salmon in our diet. That's what we want. We're always going to be in a, a running battle with the government because we have a different view of the world. It's really, really hard to sit back and say, hey, or not say anything at all. And, and you see the degradation. You see the air pollution, see the water pollution, see the accretion of our land, see the, see the landslides coming down all over. One slide, landslide. We didn't create those. But yet we're asked, tasked to give them a hand, ride in the backs of these treaty nations to fix what they screwed up. Mitigation. They put hatcheries on that mother, federal hatcheries on that mother river for taking all the water and the power. But yet they don't fund them fully to sustain all of those Indian tribes along that river, let alone the rest of us to the inland waters. We can examine the vital, vital to our everyday life and year in and year out. And you're listening to an elder, Steve Solomon of the Lummi Nation in Northwestern Washington State. And we will be right back. My name is Teokasen, Ghost Horse. This is First Voices Radio. Patience, patience, patience.
and ghost tours. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. That was Nick Mulvey. A new album, Freedom Now, featuring Gold Shifteth, Fair Honey, and Aruj Aftab by Nick Mulvey. The album is Freedom Now, and the single is Freedom Now. We've been listening to Steve Solomon, an elder of the Lummi Nation of the northwest part of Turtle Island, or what you call the United States. It's a very engaging thought process. If you want to know more about Native people, if you want to acknowledge Native people and the land, then you need to understand a deeper history in order to really know what you're acknowledging. I think people need to go deeper than just the acknowledgement. They really have to be involved. So let's let's think that think about that. Let us think about that. I'm asking you to be patient, to listen to the words here and what we are doing about what happened to us is because maybe this may happen to you as an American. So for human, from human being to human being, and this is First Voices Radio, Teokas and Ghost Horse, we continue Steve Solomon of the Lummi Nation. Steve Solomon, my, my question would be, you talked a little bit about the fish wars after the Pacific Salmon Treaty with Reagan and NAFTA. Um, that's what happened after the Bolt decision, was it not? In, but what I'm really wondering, what was going on before that decision? You talk about the fish wars. Really, people don't understand because Americans are so removed from that way of living, sustenance way of living, that you need salmon in your diet. It's part of your blood, your DNA, your bloodline. What happened before the Bolt decision and 
and not to romanticize the way it is for native people for the Lummi, but the reality of what you did as far as keeping your 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 people alive and the salmon alive and as you talk about the salmon so passionately and the traditional knowledge of the salmon what happened before the boat decision and leading up to the boat decision um you know how the feds and the, and the powers that be came up to removing all the natives to reservations. We were so ingrained by our elders that, like I said, were just echoes of our past. Take a window frame. Window frame is this long by that, this wide by that long, you know. And once you accept those borders, accept the borders that they perceive, you already lost the game. My grandparents didn't acknowledge any borders, you know, and then you look at your surroundings, that's yours, you know, and you're the steward of that, you're the keeper, you're the gatekeeper. And when they were exercising their rights pre-treaty time, they they were harassed. They said they shouldn't be catching what was in the water at that time, and during before bolt uh, i remember countless countless tickets being issued for our uncles in our community getting cited for having a steelhead you know in january to march that steelhead was was just a a trout that was there and it had that timing from january to april in the buildup of, um, because the state had a view of that as a recreational fish. So they would underline the big fight, big game fish. They wouldn't admit it, but that was a big part of it. And all of our first salmon start coming back in February. This is February and March and they're, early timing for the Columbia River and you get the early spring Chinook and that was truly a a first salmon ceremony for all the fish that returned. Before both, uh, they had patrolmen that patrolled along what they perceived as a reservation boundary throughout. Whether it was down here in North Puget Sound, they had game wardens just Specifically, that was their job is to patrol that border and to keep those Indians inside that border. And we didn't acknowledge that border. We said our reservations wherever we throw our net, you know, and just ask them to move on. That was the right thing to do. And with just the onset of the growing amount of people wanting in on a resource that that the state looked at and capitalized on, and they thought it was an inexhaustible resource. And it's not. And our elders always told us, you only take what you can use and let the, let the rest perpetuate themselves. That's taking care of it. But when, but when you get a commercial operation, then starts looking at 
the resource as a bottom line money making venture and they just done killed it, you know, and we forewarned them you, you keep taking this much, you're gonna kill it in time. You're gonna kill it. That's why I refer rephrase that all the degradation that's done, we're doing doing our best to preserve it. We're last in line um in everything we do all across Indian country. We are the last true people holding that final last thread of preservation wherever our people are. That's what I ask for. Let's partner up, you know, let's get all these sovereigns together and let's let's tackle them one at a time. Whether it's clean air, whether it's clean water, whether it's saving salmon, or whether it's saving our our reservations, our land. Let's do it together as sovereigns. Come together as sovereigns and let's do this. They don't need to know what we're doing. Just as sovereigns, we have that power. I always tell the kids, I say, how many of you make a fire to keep that fire burning? And that's a, a little bit of the lights that do come on when I do address anything in life. Sustainability, mitigation, compromise. All of these are components of negotiation with what do we really want. First Voices Radio, my name is Tioka in Ghost Horse. And Steve, one thing... I was really understanding here that the 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 difficulty getting up to the bolt decision and how the 1974 affected and I I would like to think is is that it also affected the 1978 decision for all native people here in America that we received freedom of religion to do those prayers openly and and speak our our language again and that coming back also it involves that you went through a period where you witnessed only a few hundred salmon left. And now they, they grow to thousands and thousands of today's because of the work that you, you and your people of the Coast Salish people have done. So can you talk a little bit about that? Plus also there's a film coming out in production and what that would be about. Yeah, to get, to get, to the background of, of what I what I've seen and what I've been doing and before even before seventy eight, you know, uh there's a lot of trauma and a lot of heartache and biases and you know, because we're just suppression, uh, you know, uh you had to grow through it and live through it to recognize it, you know, and and all of these all of this is just historical trauma, whether it be missing and murdered women, children, men uh, of Native country, um, the right to free speech, you know, whatever that that may be, and just use use their constitution as the battering ram, as that hammer. And what they really, truly done to us. Get out and tell your story. 
Billy always told me, Billy Frank, he says, Steve, you got a hell of a story. You got a hell of a story that just mirrors mine. He says, you have a voice, you use it. And our people, all of our people, before 1978, because I was a victim of that historical trauma. Um, I carried my grandmother's testimony, what, what happened to them when, when they got carted off to boarding school, missionary school, with the missionaries and those schools did to them. And I wasn't a part of it. I, she just told me the stories, and I cried telling them. Is it real? And I'm involved in a, since time immemorial, education tool for the schools. And education is key. 1978, that door was taken off. Indian Religious Freedom Act and free speech. We could sing our songs and dances now and say our prayers with the drum without being carted off. And you can't do that. You can't. My grandpa always, his echo always says, there's a can in that can. Just that you won't. You can do it. Songs are yours. They're forever. The fishing tides that don't go away, the songs that come with those don't go away. They just get passed on. Just like the changing of the world. Just like the changing of the world, he says. They're forever. Yeah, 1978, ICW and religion, Indian child welfare, every child matters, the right to sing and dance now. And we even went even further in asking all the Native nations in 2007, Adam Tilemi, we worked on that the winter of 2007 worked on a national anthem of our own so we could discard their Pledge of Allegiance, their Hansel and Gretel, and have our own, have our own blessing in our own language with the beat of our drum and start teaching the kids and telling the kids, it's okay to be Native now. You're not gonna be incarcerated. You're not going to be tortured anymore. You're free to do this now. Sing for the ones that can't sing no more. Dance for the ones that need that dance, that can't dance no more. That's who you're doing it for. And that's how I perceive my my job to for the habitat and the fish, to be the voice of the voiceless. Those fish have got no voice. The wind hasn't got a voice. The dirt hasn't got no voice. The gravel, no voice. The grass has no voice. The trees, there's no voice. But if they did, what would they be telling you? Now, this, 
Daishka. Yeah, this is uh, powerful. Um, we have a few minutes left, Steve, and I wanted to ask you if you have any last words. But first, in my experience, as I graduated from college, there was a person who was our graduation speaker. Her name was Vi Hilbert. And I know she has a lot to do with the language. And I think she was from the Lummi people nation. And and through that, I got to know even more about the, the history of the salmon as a native from the Plain States and how delicious, how nutritious, how spiritual salmon is. And I understand that that film is coming soon will be all about what we talked about and even more. But for now, Steve, I want to, the few minutes we have left, is do you have any last words we can close with? Because what you just said was very powerful. And that, those could be the last words. But um, this is the time we have on the radio. But um, any last words for you, Steve Solomon? Solomon? Oh, on behalf of our family, you know, um, you just hit on it. We're one of the same. By Hilbert and I, we come, we come from the same family. She was my oldest first cousin on my mother, grandmother's side. She come from the Dock Valley, Skagit, Skagit Valley area. Uh, grandmother took us to Sauk quite a bit. She used to have a swimming hole up there. And, and by, by Hilbert, when she was doing her, her work to be a teacher, a linguist, my grandmother was fluent in the Sichuan language and my grandfather here, Mama Charleston here. Um, they both spoke broken English and Vi would come. I remember her just like yesterday, always coming to visit her aunt and uncle and learning what she has to take forward on getting the people educated um, to who we are because Vi would always tell us when we brought out our songs and dances. And, and she was getting pretty weak. And we brought our songs out and she cried that she hadn't heard them songs in years. And she said, um, you boys are the chosen ones. And I said, what you talking about? And I said, your grandma and grandpa left those with you. They said to me, they don't know who amongst us is going to be those boys to carry it out. And when we brought them out and brought them to, to her and sang them, she cried tears of joy. And, and she says, you go home. You go home to your nation where you're at. And you tell your people, you tell your leaders, you're not a nation anymore. You are the first peoples of this land. Remember that you're the first peoples of this land. I don't want to cut you off, and I know that's not our ways to cut elders off. And but we are here in radio, and I wish it could be talking some more. I wish we could sit around a fire, Steve Solomon, and I could listen to your stories of the salmon and Vi Hilbert, and yeah. So I remember those times I spent in the north northwest there. But um, I honor your people, the Lummi, and all the other tribes there in that area, down to 
Cowlitz down in Oregon and area, all up and down. But I want to thank you for being here, and it's a great honor to be. Thank you for being here on First Voices Radio, Steve Solomon. Thank you for your time and your effort, and let's go get them. Yes. One person, one agency at a time. We got we got work to do. We got work uh-huh. to do. It, just the backdrop of after the movie comes out, we're going to look at a big public relations campaign on what we're doing for endangered fish. Mm-hmm. You know, we went out fight outside federal policy and we did it on our own. And I told the feds, if you don't like what I'm doing, you could come and get me. You know where I'm at. And I'm, yeah. that was 12 years ago. <laughs> and they still haven't come got me. So we're doing something right. But thank you so much. All right. And- All right. All right.
Uh, yeah, this is Teokas and Ghost Horse, and that is Reminiscent Drive. It's off of several albums. It's by Ambrosia, Reminiscent Drive. Just remembering maybe the history of this land a little bit in a modern context. Yeah, and I really want to tell you all that are listening to First Voices, yeah, thank you for giving us this time as Indigenous peoples to bring our enduring story before, during, and after what story that was, that came here on the ships. And now we're ready, as you are. And if you're ready to accept this, then thank you for putting us in this time slot. Again, First Voices Radio, thank you for joining us here. And we'll see you next time.
trials 